The goal of this statement fundamentally was to try to make sure that there is enough capacity to go around. I think as medical students, you don't realize what a huge voice you guys have within your institution. This is a great way to use it. I just want to make it very clear. This statement was written for the disadvantaged student in mind. Welcome back to the EM Stud Podcast. This is your EMED coach, Dr. Scott Waiters, tuning to you live from our COVID quarantine. And my good friend, uh, ER Dr. Nate Lewis is with us today. So Nate, give me some updates. How you doing? Hey, Scott. How are you? How are things out in Texas? Man, I am asymptomatic and I am well, but I'm getting a little tired of being cooped up. I want to get out. Yeah, same here. It's it's definitely a, a hardship for all of us, but uh, you know, I, I think mostly we're, we're getting through it pretty well. Um, fortunately, the weather is getting a little bit nicer out here, so we're getting outside, getting some exercise. Yeah, things are back trying to be normal in Texas. We're trying to figure out what that's like. Our uh, eight-year-old baseball team is 2-0, and so that's an important update for I know our whole world wants to know what our eight-year-old is doing. But more importantly, our students, they're getting back into the hospitals and they're starting on their ER rotations. And I know that everyone has a lot of questions. And so, Nate, tell us about our star-studded audience and kind of how we came to this today. Yeah, Scott, I I think, um, you know, obviously it goes without saying that this is uh, really a residency application season unlike anything that we've experienced before. And just the amount of questions and anxiety that our students are experiencing, it's all very unfortunate. But uh, luckily, we do have some guidance now. So for students that are unaware, uh, just a few weeks ago, there was a consensus statement released by all of the major EM organizations. And we are so lucky today to have some of the primary folks involved with that on our show. So let's just jump right in and introduce our guests. Hey, I'm Hannah Hughes. I'm a chief resident at the University of Cincinnati, and I get to serve as EMRA president during this crazy time. My name is Dr. Fiona Gallahue. I'm the CORD president, which is the Council of Residency Directors in Emergency Medicine, uh, and I'm also the program director at the University of Washington in Seattle. And I am Dr. Juliana Young, best known as Jules. And I am at Johns Hopkins University, where I am the undergraduate medical education director in the Department of Emergency Medicine. I am also the current president of CDEM, which is Clerkship Directors in Emergency Medicine. That is awesome. So great to have all of you here. And Scott, as great of a co-host as you are, we did bring in somebody extra too. So uh, Ryan, please introduce yourself as well. Thanks. It's great to be a part of the show. My name is Ryan Pappel. I'm a medical student at Washington University School of Medicine. Uh, I'm also here representing SAM's RAMS board. And while I'm here, I want to acknowledge the work of all the other medical students as well, especially from EMRA, uh, notably Jasmine Shaw, who is instrumental in the writing of this statement. Uh, excited to be part of the discussion. And Ryan is really, I think, the, uh, the catalyst to get this group together. Uh, Ryan has reached out to a lot of his peers all through the nation and even internationally to find out, you know, what's on your mind, students? What's going on? What are the questions? And so Ryan's really been organizing this group today. So let's just jump right in. All right. So what is this consensus statement and, and who all was involved? Well, the consensus statement was a joint undertaking by all of the major emergency medicine organizations, Um, but the leaders and primary authors of the statement were the very three women that you have right here. So it was really CORD, um, EMRA, and CDEM that got together and decided that we needed to all be on the same page 
and make sure that students knew what to expect during this really difficult year. Oh, that is awesome. And then, so uh, why was there really a need to do this? Can you explain a little bit of more background for us and how it, how it developed? Um, so one of the things that had come out was from the Coalition of uh, on Physician Accountability, which is also called COPA, and that comes from 11 different organizations, of which ABMS, ACGME, there's a number of other organizations on that. They came out with a recommendation for all interviews this year to be done virtually. One of our concerns from the student end, clerkship director end, and program director end was that we wanted to make sure that we came up with some guidelines and recommendations that aligned with those so that there was as much consistency for everyone as possible. And we wanted to amplify those guidelines and clarify our expectations as a specialty. Just to add on to that, um, one of the challenges in emergency medicine is, you know, we're a little bit of a unique specialty in that we are not a core specialty in the third year for many institutions. So there's a lot of variability in when and how emergency medicine is taught. Is it in the third year? Is it in the fourth year? Are you at an institution with an affiliated residency program? Are you not? Are there more than one affiliated residency program? Are you at an MD school, a DO school? There's a lot of variables that go into the emergency medicine application process. And we wanted to have some sort of common guidelines and standards that we could apply to everybody. Um, so I'm just going to read directly from the statement here, and I'm at number one. So for EM rotations, ideally, each student will complete, and I'm quoting here, one and only one EM rotation, typically at their home institution. So I have to ask, starting off here, home institution, what, what exactly do you mean by that? And I should add that some students' home rotations are going to be different than others. Some are academic, some are community, some have residency sites um, affiliated with them, some do not. So how do you define home rotation? Is it the same for everybody? Well, I think, you know, by and large, uh, when we're talking about a home rotation, what we're talking about is we're talking about an emergency medicine rotation at a site that has a residency program already um, affiliated with it. So uh, it would not apply necessarily to a program that did not have a residency program because we want everyone to rotate at a site where they're going to have a standardized letter of evaluation that will be robust and helpful for their application process. So that's what we mean when we say that, that they should have one EM rotation. Gotcha. So home EM rotation sounds like um, rotation if you have a residency program at your home site. That's what we want you to do. Uh, no further away rotations. Now, what about those who have a home EM rotation, uh, but it's not linked with a residency program? Should they still do that rotation? Uh, and if so, are they going to be looked upon negatively by by programs, perhaps? Yeah, so I think the, the fundamental issue here is just confusion around what a slow or what an e-slow truly means to students. And I'll be honest, like before getting involved in all of this, even I was confused. So an e-slow is from a fourth year EM general rotation with an associated residency. That's the gem, right? Fourth, not, not a third year rotation, not a subspecialty, fourth year general EM rotation with a residency. And as long as you have an opportunity to do that and get one slow from that, amazing. If you have opportunity to do more than that and get more exposure to our incredible field, no one's going to penalize you for that. But that comes with the caveat of that people are desperate for any experience right now. And so there's colleagues across the country that are looking for any opportunity to do EM, uh, let alone get a, a true slow from it. So 
keeping in mind what your what your colleagues are going through by all means if you have a home rotation that that isn't with a residency but it's going to offer you more exposure to our field go for it. Absolutely. I 100% agree with Dr. Hughes here. You know, the more emergency medicine experience is valuable, but from a process of equity in the current COVID era, COVID era, we have a number of programs that are not allowed to have um, rotations at their sites. So if you have a community experience that's available and you can get more experience, that's fine. You won't be eligible for a slow there, you know, if they don't have a residency program. We don't want people going out though and taking rotations from other students who should be able to, to rotate and get a slow. We want every single student to be able to get a slow out there. And that's what we're trying to do with this, this consensus statement. What we're really trying with this one EM rotation is we want every single person to be able to have a slow in their application. And there are a number of places where they will not be able to do that if, we don't, if, if people don't think about the whole team. And I wanna really amplify that. The goal of this statement fundamentally was to try to make sure that there is enough capacity to go around. That those students, Dr. Lewis, that you referred to, the ones who don't have home rotations, still have opportunities to do real rotations in emergency medicine where they can get an ESLOW so that they can have the same materials in their applications as those students who do have the, the luxury of having um, residency affiliated home rotations. So the goal of this is to make sure that each student only does one of those highly valuable rotations so that there's a maximum number of slots available for everybody. So how might that guidance apply to institutions where students have access to a wide range of EM rotations, including subspecialty rotations? Is this a situation where uh, they should approach going through these subspecialty rotations only if they're not accepting away applicants? Or how would the student approach that situation? Subspecialty rotations are fine. We don't seek to limit or curtail those in any way. The rotations that we really want to ration, so to speak, again, are the residency-affiliated fourth-year general emergency medicine rotations, because those are the ones where students get their slows from, and that's a piece of the application that everybody needs to be competitive in emergency medicine. So subspecialty rotations, non-residency-affiliated rotations, you know, anything like that, community sites, those are all great ways to get EM exposure and learn things about the field. And we're not trying to limit those in any way, shape or form. Um, I think that the um, trickier question comes up for the students who are at institutions with multiple residency affiliations. And that was actually a situation that we did not fully anticipate at the time that we wrote the consensus statement. And I'm looking at Dr. Gallagher nodding. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, we found that there's a number of places where the expectation of students is to do both of their home site rotations uh, because they're affiliated with two different residency programs. And it is a requirement for those students. And We've also found that in those instances, they are usually not rotating other students. So a student who's in that position who is rotating at both sites, they're not actually taking a rotation away from another student. So what we have asked is if there's a possibility to get a single slow from that experience, that's the better way to go to be equitable, but that may or may not happen. So um, we found that there were a lot of programs where basically the requirement is that the, res that the student actually goes through both of the home institutions because they're affiliated with different programs. Uh, and, and that ended up leading to a lot of um, consternation that, that those students would be discriminated against. And again, I, you know, these are guidelines. 
it's uh, we want to try to create some level of guidance for all of the students, um, but we don't want you know we un we understand that there's there's this variability. I also want to amplify what Dr. Young said about um, the not you know the specialty the subspecialty um, rotations. Those are not normal slows. Uh, they're not seen as normal slows for those rotations. It's a very different experience. We highly recommend that people go and do those types of rotations because you get more exposure to the specialty, and that's important. Um, so, so there's a lot of value to that. And Dr. Gallagher, you point out that this, this really isn't a perfect plan. It's a guideline. It's a construct. So, you know, a common question that I think a lot of us are thinking about and hearing from some students and even their advisors are, you know, who are the vulnerable kind of disadvantaged kind of folks here? And, and what can these students and their advisors do in these kind of gaps? That's a really excellent question. I think that's the other part that we did not anticipate. So when Dr. Hughes, Dr. Young and I all kind of came together, one of the things we did not realize is how even schools uh, that maybe have a, a residency program, maybe there's variability with the advisors. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and that creates a certain level of vulnerability. There are, uh, what we were thinking about was sort of what we call orphan programs, which is medical schools without their own residency program. Those folks are especially vulnerable because they have to go out and get rotations. Uh, they, they don't necessarily have advisors who have a lot of um, connections or networking or opportunity to make sure that these folks get their um, applications. We were very concerned about those. And of note, all of the historically black colleges generally fall under that range. So, you know, this is a it's not just an equity issue as far as making sure, but it's it is a diversity issue as well. I just want to make it very clear. This statement was written for the disadvantaged student in mind not for the student that is AOA with a score of two, whatever the highest number is at this point, right? This statement was written for the student that is, is potentially going to be disadvantaged by the system already, let alone in the era of COVID. So I want to make sure that the students listening, especially the osteopathic students or anybody that doesn't have a home rotation or maybe doesn't even have a home EM advisor or is getting mixed messages, this statement was written for you to protect you to make sure that you have one, at least one opportunity to, to experience what our incredible specialty has to offer, but it, get a great letter uh, in terms of the e-slow so that you have that just like your colleagues do. So don't be alarmed by the fact that uh, this is somehow limiting you. In fact, this is aimed to limit the top one third of applicants so that the rest of the world can can match to emergency medicine. Let's be real. And that's exactly right. I mean, absolutely to amplify Dr. Hughes here. I mean, you know, one of the things that we have seen, and, and it has gotten more and more inequitable over the last three years, what we have seen is that the top of the bell curve are, you know, applying more broadly. They're using more applicants, you know, the more interviews. This is not the group that needs needs those many interviews and doesn't need to over apply or over interview. What's happening though is by doing that, programs don't have the capacity to to interview more people as people are trying to take more interviews. And so we're trying to look at the folks on the on the entirety of the bell curve. That top 10% 
is not necessarily who we're talking to or that top third percent. What we're talking about is a bulk of our of our applicants are actually in this great middle section of the bell curve and would be fantastic EM docs. We want those folks to make sure that they have interviews. We want to make sure those folks have applications that are full and robust and appropriate. So yes, we are absolutely talking to the vulnerable folks. We are absolutely talking to 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 the group, sort of the larger group and and also to the the historically disadvantaged group. And I just want to also emphasize that we're working on the faculty side as well to advocate to make res or to make rotation positions available for students who need it. So for all of you students who are listening right now, I encourage you to hold your EM advisors accountable. Ask them if you are at a school with an affiliated residency program, ask what are you doing to make spots available to students in need at this institution? If there's any faculty listening, I want you to go to your dean and say, you know what? You said that we couldn't host away students, but what about the historically black college that's 100 miles away? Could we make an exception for them? It's really, really important that we all kind of pull together and make the resources available to the people who need them. Dr. Young, I have to say, I can imagine students listening to that giving virtual snaps to absolutely <laughs> everything you're saying because it, it just, it warms my heart. I'm sure it warms theirs too, but gosh, if I'm a medical student, I'm certainly sort of afraid of that. And I, I think at this point, as the resident on the call, I want to just empower the students that it's a brave space out there, right? being an advocate for your fellow colleagues and for yourself is going to pay off in the long run. Um, but that also means playing the game for everybody's benefit. And so when I get emails of students that have five EM rotations lined up in the era of COVID, let alone pre-COVID, right? Like nobody in their mind should be doing five rotations unless you need it to graduate. But in COVID, I don't care what your exact circumstances are, that's just too many. And so that's why we had to write this consensus statement to provide some guidance uh, so that we can get to get to sort of the best outcome possible for all med students because we want them all in our wonderful specialty, right? A hundred percent. Dr. Hughes, that is exactly it. I absolutely a hundred percent agree. It is huge. I think as medical students, you don't realize what a huge voice you guys have within your institution. This is a great way to use it. Um, you know, it's just, it's huge. It's huge. And it's true that the five, you know, the five away rotations, it's just, it does take away from other people. I just have to say, it is so amazing to hear from the three of you just exactly what the intent was behind this consensus statement. And, and I think there's, there's really no question that emergency medicine is, is an incredibly inclusive specialty. And of course, we want all of our students and applicants to, to know that and feel the same way. But let me get back to just a few more specifics um, as we move along to the next point here about standardized letters of evaluation, which we've sort of touched on a little bit uh, already. Uh, but moving on to bullet point two here, um, and here I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but basically this is saying that each student is really just expected to have one EM clerkship slow in their application. Residency program directors should expect only one slow, and I guess in... Uh, circumstances where students do have additional slows, really they should not be viewed by programs as being more competitive than a student who just has one. But I think that does raise a few additional questions though. And one of those questions from the med student end would be, if I as an applicant did do two EM rotations or I did some other assortment maybe with subspecialty rotations, how should I look at uh, getting letters in those situations? Should I go for the extra slow? Should I go for a standard letter? Should I go for no letter? 
What's your views on that? So again, the E slow is the letter that you get in your fourth year general emergency medicine rotation at an emergency medicine residency affiliated program. So that's the one we want you to only have one of. If you're doing subspecialty rotations, if you're doing community rotations, it is completely appropriate to have letters from those, but they're not going to be ESLOs. And Dr. Gallahue, I think, is going to talk a little bit about some of the other letter options that are available to you. If you truly do two um, EM fourth year ESLO eligible rotations, which we've learned that some students will end up doing just because their school has two affiliated residency programs and it's expected for them to rotate at both, we understand that in those situations, a student might end up with two slows. All we ask is that the slow writers make that clear. Um, there's a section at the bottom of the ESLO that allows you to explain about your program. You just need to say, hey, this is one of our institution's two affiliated programs. We don't have a way of combining the slows. The two sites are really different. The faculty are really separate. And we write two slows for every student. It won't be held against you. Everybody will be able to see you didn't do something wrong. You didn't take away a rotation from another student. It's just the way your program is set up. The caveat to that, though, is one you don't have to tell us that you're in that position. Every program director and clerkship director understands is going to be able to have that. So you can't also circumvent the system and get to rotations with the idea that you're, you know, you might be able to skip under the radar. So it's all, it all comes down to intent. The intent of this consensus statement was to benefit all of the students, particularly those that are disadvantaged. The intent that you should have is to do number one, what you need to graduate. Number two, what is required of your school. And then three, what you can do in terms of the consensus statement and what's gonna benefit all of your colleagues. So I think it's really important to remember that what, what you need to do will be very clear. If you go beyond that, it'll also be really clear. 100%, we can see your transcripts. So if you do an away rotation that's not required by your school or anything else, we can see that transcript. And we're going to ask you about it. And and if it turns out that it wasn't a requirement, you just, you know, we are going to wonder about your commitment to the rest of the, the, you know, folks applying to emergency medicine. This is a teamwork specialty. We want to know that students are big members of the team and understand equity and care about that. It definitely will be held against you if you have two slows in your application for reasons that are not appropriate. If you did do a rotation that might have been used for another student, but you got it instead to pad your application, not only will that be obvious to those who view your application, but it will definitely be viewed negatively and may result in you not matching. So I can't recommend that type of behavior for any student. Dr. Young is, uh, I think, framing the term slow shaming. <laughs> is, that, is it coined now? Got him. And, and, it and, you know, and that's a big difference from the past. You know, usually most program directors consider two slows, as, you know, from two different places as a, a complete application. And that's part of why we put this out as consensus. But this year is different. There's there's a much there's there are many more restricted uh, restrictions on, on these away rotations. And it's really important that these students have the opportunity to rotate uh, if they don't have a place to rotate at home. 
But I got to say, even in good times, I scratched my head a little bit about the students who, was com- who were coming at me with four and five rotations and what kind of ethic they had about the rest of the world around them. Because even under normal circumstances, EM rotations are a limited resource. They're just much more precious this year than they have been historically. Slow shaming. We're going to really like work on that. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be back with more from our guests in part two of this interview coming soon. Mm-hmm.